Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 984th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website, messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So, Jonathan, let's get started. What's the subject on the table today? Well, Rick, our question is, but it's wrong. Can I hate it? And our theme text is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And Jonathan, it was just a few weeks ago that the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, sparked a firestorm of vitriol and reaction throughout our country. What happened, what didn't happen, who reacted and how, all of these things became the fuel for more protests and more protests against the protests and reaction of a very negative kind everywhere you look. Let us be abundantly clear on one point before we start here. Those who would paint themselves as any form of supremacist, white or otherwise, are servants of a deep and destructive darkness. Period. Those who would take the law into their own hands and use violence and threats as their primary tools to eradicate all whom they consider supremacists are also choosing to burrow down that dark hole as well. None of this is good. No. All of this provokes hatred, and rightfully so. Shouldn't we as Christians hate such evil? Well, Rick, yes, we should. Okay. The bigger question here, then, is how do we engage our hatred for evil in a Christ-like manner? So, Jonathan, what we're saying right off the bat, right at the beginning, is there's a right way to hate, and there is a wrong way to hate. And I'm not a betting man, but I'd be willing to bet. Well, you know, I'm not a betting man, but you know what I mean. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Nine out of ten times, hatred is the wrong kind of hatred. That's right. So... Jonathan, before we get started, just let me say that it is always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite, we try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really, really think about. And today is one of those times where we've got something we need to think about, but it's wrong. 
Can't I hate it? Let's start. What does hate mean? Well, Rick, it means intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or a sense of injury, and extreme dislike or antipathy. All right. So you've got two two definitions here that are um, that are somewhat connected, but a little bit different, and they're going to come into play as we go through this uh, this uh, podcast. But Jonathan, before we get started with the podcast proper, we have a really important and really actually a great announcement. What is that? Well, Rick, Christian Questions is pleased to announce the opening of our new chat room on our website, available during our live broadcast. Simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. So we previously had a chat room set up elsewhere, but we are trying to bring it all to the website. So go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and once you get you, you, you start listening, the chat board is right below there. You just got to use a, a, a first name, if you will, to, to get started. But we'd love for you to be there and contributing and sharing your comments and thoughts back and forth in the chat room. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and again, Listen Live. Okay, so... With that in mind, hatred, the definition was intense hostility or extreme dislike. And you say, well, what's the difference? There is a difference. And we're going we're gonna to lay that out in a moment. But first, let's get to, let's just do a little bit of looking at what makes, uh, what makes people hate. We're going to go to a, a news uh, item from CNN on this, the science behind what makes people hate. Protests, assaults, terror attacks. There seems to be a whole lot of hate in the United States nowadays. But what exactly is hate? Most of our feelings come in four basic flavors. Happy, sad, angry, and afraid. But hate, it turns out, is a different emotion entirely, even from a biological perspective. It was about a decade ago, researchers pinpointed what has come to be known as the brain's hate circuit. They put study participants into an MRI and showed them pictures of people that they had neutral feelings about. Then they also showed them pictures of people that they hated. In this case, perhaps an ex-lover or a competitor at work. And they found certain parts of their brains lit up. And these parts of the brain play a big role in generating aggressive behavior and then translating that behavior into action. All in all, a bad combination, fueled by competitiveness or sense of loss. So there are certain parts of the brain that light up, that engage when we are engaged in that emotion of hatred. And it's a very powerful emotion. And you, you sometimes you hear people describe it saying, you know, oh, I, 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 I saw red. And, they, and, and sometimes you lose control of what you say or what you're going to do because the hatred, the emotion, the feeling is so intense, it overwhelms you. That's a difficult thing. That's a difficult thing. And the first question we really need to ask, Jonathan, is, look, is that a Christ-like way to be? Did, I don't remember Jesus ever having that type or that level of hate, ever. He did have hatred, and we'll discuss that as we go through. But you're right. It wasn't to the point of seeing red and not being able to be in control. So that's the first point that's really, really important here. The Charlottesville, Virginia events that happened 
provoked a lot of reaction. There, first of all, there was a lot of hatred there on a lot of different sides. We're not getting into the sides at this point. But it provoked a lot of reaction for those of us who heard the news reports and you say, they shouldn't do that. What are they doing? They need to be shut down. And, and you can feel your own blood pressure go up. Not by, you're not even there. But you can see your blood pressure going up because of the things that are being said that are so awful. They're awful. And, and, and they are things that you look at and say, yeah, there should be hatred in, re- in relation to these kinds of things. So our first premise in discussing hatred from a Christian perspective is going to be that there are two basic types of hatred. Two types. The first is what we will call productive hatred. Produ- now, Rick, okay. wait a minute. That, <laughs> that in itself just does not sound right. Hate being productive. Come on. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, really, really. Productive hatred. We'll, we'll develop it. Productive hatred stems from and proceed, proceeds with an objective view of that which would destroy goodness and righteousness. This is the type of hatred that God has and that we should strive for. So yeah, I stick by those words. There is such a thing as productive hatred. Let's look at an example of God's hatred in a productive way. Deuteronomy 25, 13 to 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. The reason for having those differing weights would be to be able to deceive somebody, to, to use the wrong set of weights when you're making a trade so you can, uh, you can pay less and get more. It's okay. really stealing. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. What does God say in the next verse in Deuteronomy 25? You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you for everyone who does these things. Okay, Um, so God is saying, I am watching you as Israel, and you should not be stealing. You should not be cheating one another or others. There's no excuse for that. So if you want to have, live a long life in the land, you treat others justly. God is essentially sitting there saying, don't you do that. Don't you do that. And and the last line of that, that verse is what? Everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to the Lord your God. Okay, we've heard that word abomination many times in scriptures. What does it actually mean? Well, Rick, it means something disgusting morally, an abhorrence, especially idolatry, or concretely an idol. Now, Rick, an idol doesn't have to be made of just concrete. Right, right. <laughs> It could be made of any metal or right water. or wood or or anything but but see the point is it's something that is disgusting morally before God and when God sees something is disgusting he doesn't like it he hates it and that's where that word abomination comes from now there's different kinds of abominations we're not getting into that at this point let's just stay with this thought that this means this is something God hates so Jonathan is it productive to hate things that are wrong <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Is it productive to say as God to his people, do not engage in stealing from one another? Yes. Is yes, it productive absolutely. productive for him to say if you do that, I will punish you? It is. That's all part of productive hatred. All right. With the thought of productive hatred in mind, let's go to a different viewpoint on hatred. We're going to go 
to a gentleman. Uh, this was from Prager University, which technically is not a university, just by way of disclosure. And uh, he was a young man. As a young man, he was taught to hate. This we're gonna we're gonna highlight this story throughout our podcast today. This is a very moving story about hatred. This man was taught to hate. Listen to the introduction here. I was born to hate Jews. It was part of my life. I never questioned it. I was not born in Iran or Syria. I was born in England. My parents moved there from Pakistan. Theirs was the typical immigrant story. Moved to the West in the hope of making a better life for themselves and their children. We were a devout Muslim family, but not extremist or radical in any way. We only wished the best for everyone. Everyone except the Jews. The Jews we believed were aliens living in stolen Muslim land. Occupiers who were engaged in a genocide against the Palestinian people. Our hatred, therefore, was justified and righteous, and it made me and my friends vulnerable to the arguments of radical extremists. So you can see that he was taught to have an inherent hatred, and he was given reasons why he should have that hatred, and that hatred was against a specific people. It was against the Jews. If you were Jewish, you were hated. There is no in-between. You're one of them. I hate you. That's what he's saying. That's where he came from. And Jonathan, that's a tough place to come from. And that is, for sure. That was all in his complete environment. Yes. Mother, father, brothers, sisters, that was their, their belief. And so he grows up with that. And when you grow up with something and it's repeated to you a thousand times, you don't question it. You just grow up and it's part of your culture. It's part of of your being. It's part of what you have learned. So this young man grew up into a mature individual with this inherent hatred. We're going to come back to his story because it's very, very powerful. We had talked about productive hatred and and, and an example of God's productive hatred. Well, the other type of hatred, because our, our premise is there's two types. The second type of hatred is destructive hatred. Now, this one obviously makes a whole lot more sense to you, right? Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so destructive hatred. It stems from a personal and emotional perspective that may or may not have a basis of justification. It sees and feeds a frenzied and rash type of reaction. So destructive hatred stems from personal and emotional perspective and it may or may not have something that's justifiable behind it. Now, in this young man's mind, there was justifiability in his right. hatred. That's right. Because he said some of the reasons why they, they hated the Jews, because they were usurpers and so forth and so on. We'll get further in the story and see what happens with all that in a few minutes. But destructive hatred, Jonathan, is the most popular kind of hatred. It's the easiest kind to get involved in. It's the kind that we naturally will adopt and it is something that is bad for everybody, bad for the one who's doing the hating and bad for those that you may be hating. So to give an example of destructive hatred, we gave an example of productive hatred, God hating injustice amongst his people. The hatred in the following psalm, we're going to read part of Psalm 109, was directed toward David. Now, commentators speculate on who was being spoken of here, and there are two possibilities. Uh, One is King Saul. King Saul, if you remember, really hated David because David was going to take his throne. David didn't do anything to King Saul. 
He just was. Okay? King, King Saul's hatred of David was not justified. The other individual who may be spoken of in Psalm 109, and I tend to think this is the case, was Ahithophel. He was Bathsheba's grandfather. When David took Bathsheba and had Uriah, her husband, murdered, you can see a justifiable reason for the grandfather, Bathsheba's grandfather, to really hate David. So there's oh, yeah. a, there's a yeah. justification there. Now, what he did with it, that's another story. But there's at least some basis to say he did this and it's a hateful thing that he did and now I'm feeling that, that hate. So let's go to Psalm 109, verses 1 through 5. O God of my praise, do not be silent, for they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers, but I am in prayer. Thus they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. So David is recounting this hatred that he, he's looking upon and he doesn't know what to do with it. So let's get let, let, let's boil down this first segment because I didn't realize we're a little bit further time-wise than I thought we were. Ha- our first handling hatred lesson, Jonathan, is what? Just because a justifiable action may exist that provokes our hatred does not make our hatred a justifiable action. Got to realize the power of that statement. Just because there's something you say, look, there's a reason for it, doesn't mean you have the right to go down that destructive hatred road. It doesn't. Sure, there's a reason for hatred, but what are you supposed to do with it? How are you supposed to handle it? That's the real question. So look, it might seem like we're parsing words here, but we really do have a target to aim for. Then fire away, Rick. We obviously know that hatred needs monitoring. What about hating our own lives? Is there a right and wrong way to do it? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. So, Jonathan, King Solomon wrote our theme text as a result of his exasperation with his own life. Remember, time for love, a time for hate, and so forth. And this gives us another place to look when we want to root out destructive hatred. You know, is there a right way and wrong way uh, to hate? Yes, there is. And what about hating ourselves? Sometimes we hate ourselves. Hating circumstances, ourselves, or our lives has devastating effects on our ability to clearly see and react to the world around us. We're going to spend this segment looking at King Solomon because this man was the wisest man in all the earth. He was powerful. He was wise. He was benevolent. He was, he was lauded. He was as wealthy as wealthy could be. And Jonathan, he grew to hate himself and his life. And you think, wait a minute. Talk about something that doesn't make sense. Really? How does he get there? We want to go through that because there's a principle here of when we get to a point where we don't like ourselves for one reason or another, it skews our ability to see others. It skews our judgment from being just to being blaming or to being hurtful. And 
and contributing toward destructive hatred. I'm going to show that in, in, in King Solomon's life. So, King Solomon's problem was that he grew to be too wealthy and egotistical to manage his own life. And in spite of his great wisdom, he ended up, like I said before, he ended up hating his own life. His hatred was from the inside out. So in other words, there was nothing on the outside that provoked that self-hatred. It came from the inside out. Here are some elements that fed Solomon's self-loathing. And that self-loathing is a place where hatred in a destructive fashion uh, takes root and grows toward others. And Jonathan, this is a bad, bad place to be. So the first point with Solomon's life and his self-loathing was ego, okay, his ego. Solomon's wisdom was not tempered with humility, and he saw himself as above others. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and this is the chapter before our theme scripture about a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 3. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. Well, Rick, my first observation of this is there are five eyes in these few verses. What does that say? Well, and again, <laughs> what it says is that Solomon's incredible depth of wisdom was not tempered with that personal humility. And, and wasn't it God that gave him that wisdom? Yes, yes. God says, to, right. <laughs> God says to Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. What a great request. What a great beginning. But what a downfall this very, very, very wise man experienced. And, he, and you're right. In this, in this first few verses, he's talking about, I, I decided to test myself with pleasure. You know, <laughs> you know you're, you're in trouble. Yes. <laughs> with that kind of a test, okay? So enjoy yourself, I said to myself. And, but, you know, that ended up being futility. Uh, and, you know, of laughter, oh, it's madness, he says. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? So he's, he's saying nothing is worth anything. You think, wait a minute, you have everything in the world literally at your fingertips and nothing is worth anything? Um, he's, he, and then, then he said, verse 3 is really amazing. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. Now, hang on. that doesn't jive (laughs) no it doesn't but see what these verses end up with until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven for the few years of their lives until I could see if other people's lives were worth anything at all He's, he's looking down at them He's saying these few men in the futility of their lives, I was trying to find out if there's any reason for them to even live. I mean, he's really got this, this egotistical sense and this, almost this resentment for the world around him. And, and Jonathan, he's coming up with this self-hatred. And when you have that, you can't see clearly. And so many times, folks, our lives get lost 
in that self, in, in that dissatisfaction with ourselves. Maybe it's not hatred, but it's dissatisfaction. And how often do I take my dis- dissatisfaction of me out on others? How often do I see something wrong in somebody else because it's wrong in me? That's, that's very typical human nature. So let's go back to, uh, you know, so our ego, when our ego is so fully engaged, it becomes far easier to see others as irrelevant and futile. Let's go back to uh, this gentleman uh, born to hate. Remember, he was, he was raised a Muslim, and the, the particular sect of Muslim he was raised in, they were raised to hate Jews, period. Doesn't matter who the Jew is. If they're a Jew, you hate them, all right? Let's go a little bit further and hear more of his explanation on living that way. If the Jews were as evil as we had always believed, mustn't those who support them, Christians, Americans, and others in the West, be just as evil? Beginning in the 1990s, speakers and teachers at mosques and in schools began to endlessly repeat this theme. We were not Western. We were not British. We were Muslims, first and only. Our loyalty was to our religion and to our fellow Muslims. We owed nothing to the Western nations that welcomed us. As Westerners, they were our enemies. All of this had its desired effect. At least, it did on me. It changed the way that I saw the world. I began to see the suffering of Muslims, including in Britain, as the fault of Western imperialism. The West was at war with us, and the Jews controlled the West. My experience at university in Britain only enhanced my increasingly radical beliefs. Hating Israel was a badge of honor. Can you imagine that? Hating Israel, hating an entire nation was a badge of honor that he wore with pride at that point in his life. Now, obviously, How destructive that is. It is. And, and see, that is a destructive hatred. And we will find out it was based on a lot of misconceptions, a lot of things that were totally wrong. The story will unfold and we'll see how he begins to understand reality. And it's really an amazing and inspirational story. But Jonathan, he was looking at the, the experiences of Muslims and blaming all of their hardships, finding a way to blame anyone who carried uh, the heritage of being a Jew. What a horrible, horrible way to live. So, let's go back to Solomon. Solomon, remember his ego got in his way. His great wisdom was not tempered with humility. Next, Solomon's greed altered his ability to continue in wisdom. Solomon's existence came to be focused only upon himself. Um, and, and when you're better than that, and Solomon was better than that. And you start to fall into the just being focused on just me, you start to really loathe yourself. You really, really do. Ecclesiastes 2, let's skip down to verses 9 and 11. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, and that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. So, Jonathan, in the first set of verses, you counted five eyes. How many mys are in this set of verses? Well, um, I see four, and then I see three eyes, and me, a couple <laughs> me's. <laughs> so, it really, his existence began to, to, to circulate around himself. And when it does that, we begin to look down on those around us. I became great. And look, he was a great man. 
He was a powerful man in all of the, the world at that time. And, and, but it went to his head. And Jonathan, what happens is when we get so self-absorbed with greed and ego, we begin to look down upon others around us and begin to distribute hate toward others around us because they're not like us or they're not feeding what we want us to be. Look, that's what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. All right. That's what happened there. It's all about me for those people who became so angry and violent and hateful. Should we hate the wrong? Absolutely. But how do we hate the wrong? We've got to get to that part of it. So Solomon's ego fed his self-loathing. Solomon's greed continued to build upon that foundation of ego for self-loathing. Solomon also had partial clarity because he was wise. So he could see things, but the danger of partial clarity is that it's only partial. So Solomon could see, still see reality, though it began to lose its meaning. Listen to these verses very carefully, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and listen how his great wisdom starts to lose its grip on actually being wise. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Okay. I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. So now why is he considering wisdom, madness, and folly all at the same time? And he says, you know, and, and, and the next phrase is, for what will man do who will come after the king except what's already been done? So what that is saying is, I... Solomon have built these incredible gardens and these incredible buildings and this incredible place and done these incredible things. And when I die, some poor peon of a human being who is not nearly as smart as me is going to take over all of this. And he's looking at that saying, they don't deserve to take over what I have done. All that I have done is going to go to waste because I will not be there in my wise state to manage it. You see how he's, he's, he's taken himself away from all of the other people around him, put himself in his own little category, and, and, and it's all about him. It's only about him. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this is my reward for all of my labor, and we can count me's and my's again, we won't do it this time, but there's a lot of them. So you've got... This can only give a false sense of security and develop hatred to everyone except himself. Right, right. I saw that wisdom excels folly. He's right. And light excels darkness. He's right. But it didn't change him. So he had the clarity to see it, but he didn't have the maturity and the humility to act on what he saw. The next level, you you start with ego. Then that ego builds greed. And that greed is built in partial clarity. And the next thing that happens is things are now futile. You come to a point of futility. Solomon gave up uh, as his insatiable approach brought him nothing but frustration. Now, this is the man who had built these incredible things. And this is what he comes to, Ecclesiastes 2, 15 to 17. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool... It will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. So what he says right there, Jonathan, is I was so wise 
And it was for no good. It was useless. So now his incredible wisdom has brought him to the point of saying, my wisdom is futile. I mean, man, wake up. You've completely lost your grip on any sort of godliness. And Jonathan, he is getting to the point of really despising himself here. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. So I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. So he's saying that I hated life. After all the incredible accomplishments, he hated life because to him, if I can't be the one to continue to control it, if I can't live forever, if I can't always be the one on top, then it's all futile because some other bonehead is going to take over the things that I built. And that's the way he was looking at other people. He was looking down at them with this, this awful sense and he had this resentment for the other human beings around him. If he had true wisdom and benevolence, he would have had mercy and understanding. But Jonathan, he was devoid of all of those things. And Rick, when he got to the point of saying, I hated life, you think of suicide. Yeah. And then you look back in history to those wealthy, rich, famous people that have, you think from, from a worldly perspective, have everything. Right. But they're empty and they hated life and they take their life because of where they be, where they ended up. Everything is too futile. There's no answer. And Solomon, King Solomon was was there. Destructive self-hatred completely warps our ability to see any good around us. Okay. Pretty depressing what we've been talking about so far. Yes. Let's start another story. And this is an entirely inspirational story. And Jonathan, you had mentioned this to me last week. I'm so glad you did. This is the story of Ladanian Tomlinson, former professional football player. This was in his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, going into the Hall of Fame. Just want you to hear, uh, we'll we'll play it, then we'll comment on it, because there's a powerful lesson that he talks about here that has an awful lot to do with hatred. I grew up on the land of a former slave plantation. And although I didn't know this as a child, it is where my great-great-great-grandfather tilled the soil. My story is America's story. I'm of mixed race, and I represent America. My name began with the man who owned my great-great-great-grandfather. Now, it's proudly carried by me, my children, my extended family. So here's a man whose heritage, he got his last name Tomlinson, from the slave owner that owned his great-great-great-great-grandfather. And he says, I've been able to transform the awful event of one human being owning another, giving them their name, to where I can proudly carry that name myself. Wow. How did he do that? We're going yes. to get into that in a few minutes. Let's get back to Solomon, because we've got to finish what he started, and what he started, Jonathan, wasn't good. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. So Solomon says, now I hated everything I did. I hated the fruit of all of my labor. That's where his self-loathing got him. That's where his overthinking and his, and his, and his putting his, himself first got him. And that can be a place where we go, where hatred then becomes an 
awful thing that we now spread to others. So what's our handling hatred lesson for this segment? Well, Rick, we must be very aware of how easily our warped view of our own life can corrupt our view of others' lives and their role in the world around them. So we are looking at that, uh, that Muslim individual earlier in the segment who had a warped view of life. We're comparing that with Ladanian Tomlinson, who didn't have a warped view of life, but had every right to have a warped view of life. And we're saying, okay, there's a lot here that we need to discuss. So, so far it seems like destructive hatred is all about me. It really does. We know that hatred from the inside out is obviously destructive. What about hatred from the outside in? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. So, Jonathan, before we fully get to outside-in hatred, it's important to finish the thoughts of King Solomon. After his tirade about nothing mattering, mattering, his next Ecclesiastes writing basically says that everything has its time and place, and there's nothing anyone can do about it, no matter how rich or wise that they are. Now, this is a good observation, though it comes about through a not-so-good process, because he's miserable, rather than looking at it saying, God Almighty has all of this in control. These are gifts from God that I should appreciate. He hates everything, and he's miserable about everything. And it doesn't get him anywhere. He's not able to be powerful in a positive, godly manner because he is off on the inside. The inside-out hatred of himself makes him look at everybody else with disdain. And everything now has become vanity in his own, in a, in his own eyes. So now... King Solomon will we'll put, put that to rest for a bit. Now let's look at an example of destructive hatred, both from the inside out and the outside in. And Jonathan, we're gonna, before we get to this next example, let's go back to the uh, CNN uh, news item on uh, the science behind what makes people hate. Because this next piece in the uh, CNN report is really, really relevant to the next example of hatred that we're going to use from the scriptures. And you know that saying, there's a thin line between love and hate? Well, turns out that's rooted in science as well. Much of the brain's hate circuit also fires up when you feel romantic love. And like love, there is evidence of hatred dating back to our oldest ancestors. For instance, it was likely the emotion of hate that made early hunter-gatherers feel okay about taking food away from their rivals in order to survive. In today's world, when people become frustrated, insecure, or afraid of losing something like their job, neighborhood, or their power, they can become filled with hate. And again, they can act out to save what they think they're losing. So, so the interesting thing here, Jonathan, is that the emotion of love and hate both light up the same part of the brain. Oh, wow. And it's a powerful emotion. See, that's what it tells you. That's what it tells you. And that's why we have to be so careful with our hate. And that's why we need to understand what destructive hatred is and what productive hatred is and how to go from one to the other. Because most of us think our hatred 
it may be justifiable, but we think that, well, because it's justifiable, I'm okay to be as angry and okay to act the way I'm acting. And that's just not right. It's according to scripture and according to principles of righteousness, that is not right. So we're going to get into an example, Jonathan, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, uh, and we're going to do selected verses. Uh, This is a story, folks, just let me tell you in case you have kids listening, this is a story about rape. Apologize for that, but it's a story that illustrates hatred and the love aspect all confused together. 2 Samuel 13, let's start with verses 1 through 5. We'll do selected verses. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Jonadab, his friend, then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon is in love with Tamar. His sister. It's entirely inappropriate. So he and his friend Jonadab create a scheme to entice her, to, to, trap, to entrap her essentially. Now look, he, he says that he loves her. And he loves her to the point of trying to entrap her. What does that tell you about that emotion, Jonathan? Oh, you can't trust it. <laughs> you can't. It is completely backwards. You know, he felt these, this incredible uh, attraction to her. But that attraction created a devious, devilish thought and action. So... When, when you, when the, in the CNN uh, uh, soundbite where it talked about, you know, the, the, the uh, emotion comes from the same place, you can see it. You can see how it can be very, very dangerous. What happens next? Second Samuel 13, 8 through 14. And again, a little bit of skipping around with verses. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. When she brought the food she made to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. So his quote-unquote love for her brings him to a horrible, hateful, inexcusable action. He violates her. I, you know, and you think about that and think, well, wait, how, what happened? You know, you're supposed to... You, you I, I don't even know what to say. It is so, so far off. But again, it became justifiable in his own mind because of his own emotion. And folks, that's what hatred does. Our actions become justifiable because that's how we feel. Now, he kept saying that he loved her, Okay. But it brought him to an, uh, to an inexcusable situation and action. So he commits this horrible act. What happens next? Let's go to 2 Samuel 13, verse 15. Then Amnon hated her, and very great hatred. For the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go away. So you can see that, that CNN news 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 piece about love and hate being from the exact same spot there's proof right there 
in ancient history uh, of Amnon doing this horrible thing and then having this rage against her. What did she do wrong? Nothing. Nothing. But she became the enemy, and his hatred for her raged far beyond the quote-unquote love that he had for her. Now, wouldn't that have stemmed from a guilt that was within him after he realized what he did? Could have been from guilt. It could have been from the fact that she didn't want it to happen. It could have been, you know, a whole lot of things. But the fact of the matter is that he has this hatred for her, and he and he's almost violent about getting her out of there, sending her away. Now love becomes hate, destructive hate from within, and it starts a chain reaction of sorrow because everything that happens in this event afterwards is miserable. Let's go to a handling hatred lesson at this point. Well, Rick, destructive hatred is always emotion-based and often needs uh, no more prompting than our own hearts and minds. We have to remember that. That's what this, one of the things that this experience, scripture, scriptural experience is teaching us. It, destructive hate is always based in our emotions. Always. And sometimes, therefore, you need no more prompting than what's inside of my own heart and mind. And that's not a good thing, Jonathan. That's not a good thing. And when we saw the events in Charlottesville, what we saw were people reacting not thinking, not seeing one another from a human being standpoint, but they were just reacting. Interesting scripture to counteract all of that. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. God, this is God speaking. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So you can see God is saying, I search the heart. I test his mind. Even to giving each man according to his ways and according to his deeds. God is going about his judgments in a very logical, just, and merciful way. That's productive hatred. That is good hatred. He hates that which is wrong. But he doesn't just squash you like a bug. He looks at it and he says, I search the heart. I test the mind. This is God's way of dealing with hatred. Jonathan, unfortunately, it's not our natural way. No, it's not. And we have to learn to rise above the natural emotional reaction to get to a righteous response when it comes to hatred. So let's go to... um, Let's go back to our PragerU uh, um, story, Born to Hate. This is that Muslim who was, uh, you know, just naturally raised to hate Jewish people. And uh, let's see what happens as he gets to a point where, you know, he's old enough now to really want to do something uh, productive with his life. Well, let's see what he starts thinking about. While at university, I decided the protests and propaganda against Israel were not enough. True jihad demanded violence, so I made plans to join the real fight. I would leave college and join a terrorist training camp in Pakistan. But fortunately for me, fate intervened in a bookstore. I came across a book called The Case for Israel by Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. The Case for Israel? What case could there be? The title itself made me furious, and I began to read the pages almost as an act of defiance. How ill-informed. 
How stupid could this guy be to defend the indefensible? Well, he was a Jew. That had to be the answer. Still, I read. And what I read challenged all of my dogmas about Israel and the Jews. So he sees this book, he starts to read it so he can tear it to shreds, and it gets his attention. So there is a, there is a defining moment for him as he's reading, but he's not just ignoring what he's reading because it must be that what he's reading is very factual and very clear. So it's got his attention. This, this becomes a very, very significant event. Jonathan, I just want to take a moment and read a comment um, from Instagram, okay? Because we, we uh, did some Instagram work in relation to this particular subject. And this comment came in about, you know, is it, is it ever right to hate? And the, the, the comment is, that's a good question. I believe the answer is no. Don't hate it. Just pray that God can change it. For example, a man robs you in the street. It's wrong to steal. And you were violated. Don't hate that man. Pray for that man. We should forgive others and pray that God can change their wicked ways. The Word of God also tells us that God shall return all, return all that the enemy has stolen. So I say, do not hate, forgive. And he just goes on a little bit further here, if I can just get this message to expand. Uh, okay. God shall fight your battles for you and bless you for your love. Never hate, love always and abundantly. A man may rob you of your money, but he cannot rob you of your love. Continue to love, God bless. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful comment to uh, put things in perspective in terms of the importance of perspective when it comes to hate. We have to have a righteous perspective. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on both Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, including, Rick, Trivia Tuesday, featuring a not very well-known fact about the Bible. All right, and we also have Thankful Thursday. It has a different post each week about something we are thankful for, and we want to hear from you about what you are most thankful for. And to top it off, Rick, we have Flashback Friday Highlights, a previous Christian Questions podcast from the archives that you may have missed. So all of this is social media, folks. We really want to uh, communicate with you on social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, or Facebook. Um, please uh, avail yourself of those things. It's really great to hear from you and have those conversations going on a regular basis. And, and Jonathan, back to that Instagram comment. It's so important to understand that Jesus taught us to base our reactions to things in love. But it doesn't mean that there's no room for hate. Hate is appropriate in the right place and the right time and in the right fashion. If we don't apply it in the right fashion, then we can be justified all we want, but we will be wrong, dead wrong. Let's look at destructive hate from the outside in. Now, in this next example, this is the same story. This is um, uh, Absalom the other brother of Tamar, uh, who is also a son of David, who finds out about this situation. And it turns out, Jonathan, he wants revenge, and he waits a long time. Go ahead. Now, it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shares in Belhazar, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, 
when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death, do not fear. Have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So Absalom waits two years to set up the murder of, of his, his brother uh, Amnon. Two years he waits, and he sets it up, and it's premed- premeditated. This is revenge. This is built on hate. Now look, he had a reason to have hate in him because of what happened to his sister. But Jonathan, to premeditate murder for years ahead of time is not the application of hatred that is in any way, shape, matter, or form godly. Not even close. This revenge would only continue the ruining of relationships and lives. And you can see the family of King David crumbles as a result of all of this. It just is a horrible, horrible situation. Now, on the other side of that, remember we started the story of Ladanian Tomlinson. And he said that he came from a slave family. His last name, Tomlinson, was the slave owner's name that they grew up with. He said that he had learned to embrace that name and wear it with pride as his own. This is a special man. Let's hear the next part of his story. Hi, Ladanian. How you doing? Good. Chris Tomlinson. All right. Chris Tomlinson. Yeah, it's good to meet you. Nice to meet you. As you can tell, we have the same name. Yes. <laughs> Our families have been kind of connected since the founding of this hill. Here's a white man yeah. that shares your last name. What was that like for you and how difficult was that? It, it was very difficult because I realized the reason I had that last name. I had made it to a point in my life, I didn't have to hear this, but I needed to hear it. I needed to hear it for me to grow. Did you hear that? I needed maturity. Wow. I needed to hear it for me to grow. So he actually met with a descendant of the slave owner Tomlinson. And the two met on the property and they shook hands and they began to have a conversation. Here is a man who could rise above hatred in a valiant, beautiful, powerful way. What's our handling hatred lesson, Jonathan, as we wrap up this segment? Well, Rick, we must learn to face justifiable hatred without being led by our emotions and instead be led by understanding, lest we join the ranks of those who ruin lives. Ladanian Tomlinson is a great example of justifiable hatred being led by understanding and doing something entirely different with it. Once again, Jonathan, it seems... Hi, Ladanian. How are you doing? Good. Chris Tomlinson. Sorry about that. Once again, Jonathan, it seems to be all about me. Yes, it does. But enough already with destructive hatred. How do we adopt and live by productive hatred? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. So, Jonathan, the first and most important step to adopting and living by productive hatred is the ability to recognize the difference between the two. This recognition does not come easily and needs to be nurtured, tested, developed, and then it needs to be nurtured some more. 
It is a very difficult path to walk down. But if we want hatred, and hatred is appropriate at times, in the right way, we have to nurture the right kind of hatred, and we cannot play the game of fooling ourselves to think that, well, I feel this way, therefore I'm right. No, 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 no. If you feel that way, you should automatically challenge that feeling and put it up against righteousness and goodness and godliness and compassion and mercy. That's how you tell if how you feel is in accordance with God's will. And and, and, and I want to make a, a quick point through a quote. Um, what happened in Charlottesville? was people were throwing the idea of America all over the place. You know, this side stands for what they see as America, and that side stands for what they see as America. This is a great quote from Charles de Gaulle that helps us understand what patriotism is and what nationalism is. Patriotism is when love of your own people comes first. Nationalism is when people for when hate for people other than your own comes first. Big difference between the two. And and Jonathan, look, we can be family-oriented and love for your family comes first. That's a good thing, but we should have love for others as well. And the whole idea of hatred gets so misconstrued and so justified and it's so inherently wrong in that emotional state. We cannot allow ourselves to be emotional in that hatred. So um, we're going to build a foundation um, or, or, or talk about the foundation for productive hatred in just a moment. But we have a comment here, Jonathan. So let's get that comment going. Trish, what do you have for us? All right, this is from, I got a couple comments from the chat. Um, one says that um, these examples says makes me think our love must be according um, to God's principles and when it is it can be trusted and the same is true with hatred it must be guided by uh, the holy scriptures or principles so um, our love definitely has to be um, guided by God's God's principles there's another one I'm trying trying to find it it says Jesus hated the money changers um so Jesus' hatred of the money changers resulted in some pretty destructive behavior towards them. Where do we draw the line as followers whose kingdom is not of this world? Okay, actually, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that comment up because Jesus did not hate the money changers. He hated what they did. And if you analyze, thanks, Trish, for those two comments. Very good to, to hear comments from the, from the chat board, folks. Thank you. Um, what Jesus did in that example, Jonathan, if you analyze it, is he disrupted what they did, but didn't take anything away from them. He made it difficult for them. He made it difficult for them to stop, to, to continue to, to, to rip the people off. But you notice, like, uh, you know, he, he set, let the animals go run, run. Those animals could be caught. He turned, right. turned the tables over. Now the money changers are going to have to argue amongst themselves whose money it is. That should be fun. Let them argue amongst themselves. But he didn't let the doves go. The doves would have flown away. They would have been lost and gone. He didn't do that for two reasons. One, they legitimately belonged to those money changers. But two, those were the things that the poor could buy to do their sacrifice. So Jesus didn't act out of hatred for the money changers. He acted out of hatred for what they did in a house of prayer. Big difference. 
And Rick, what they did is they had cheating weights. Yes. And they were they were cheating everyone that was buying the sacrifices and making more money than they should have. Right. And that was the problem. Right. So and that's what we started with. Remember, God hates that. God hates that. So it's really important to put this all all in perspective. Church what? Well, I just wanted to um, ask a question on your comment, though. He still got violent. So, do we have the right to be violent? Okay. He did not get violent. He got disruptive. He did enough to stop it. He couldn't have gone in there and said, everybody stop, because nobody would have heard it. So, but he turned the tables over and disrupted the activity. It was enough to make it stop. To get violent would have been to go after and beat on the people and all of that. Jesus did none of that. So no, we don't have a right to get violent. Righteous indignation is something, Jonathan, that we like to talk about. Like, well, when I was angry, I was righteously indignant. Were you or were you just emotional? You know, that's the thing that we have to really, really think about. So let's build a foundation for productive hatred. Okay, Um, Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is how productive hatred works, right here. This is the good kind. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So what this is prophetically saying of Jesus is you have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Hatred properly applied. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. God has given you something special because you stood for that which is right and stood against that which is wrong. Productive hatred is coupled with appropriate love for righteousness and therefore an absolute key to our footstep following of Jesus. Absolute key is to have a love for that which is right driving you, not that emotion. It's a big difference between the two. Now, let's go back to, uh, to the next soundbite for Born to Hate Jews, our, our Muslim friend, who begins to read this book written by a Jew and starts to have questions about his, his inherent hatred of Jews. Let's hear what happens next. I read that it wasn't Israel that created the Palestinian refugee crisis. It was the Arab countries, the United Nations, and the corrupt Palestinian leadership. I read that Jews didn't exploit the Holocaust to create the State of Israel. To create a modern Jewish state dated back to the 19th century, and ultimately to the beginnings of the Jewish people almost 4,000 years ago. And I read that Israel is not engaged in genocide against the Palestinians. On the contrary, the Palestinian population has actually doubled in just 20 years. All this did was make me angrier. I needed to prove Dershowitz wrong, to see with my own eyes how racist and oppressive Israel really was. So I bought a plane ticket. I will travel to Israel, the home of my enemy. You got to give this man credit for taking it that far. He's angry. He says, this cannot possibly be true. I'm going to find out. I'm going to go see it with my own eyes. I'm going to prove it with my own eyes. And then I can have my righteous hatred. And you see what he's doing? He's trying to build on that emotion, just like we're saying we can all do. So, Jonathan, we can all be in the same category as this man who was walking down the road to becoming a a, a radical hater of human beings. 
Wait till you see what happens at the end of the story. <laughs> we'll get to that later. All right, so, so Jonathan, he's finding the facts and he's being intellectually honest enough to do something uh, positive here. So we want to go through and develop five steps for moving towards productive hatred. And Rick, um, the, this is the important part of the podcast because we want to really ingrain ourselves in understanding the five um, productive um, hatred so we do it right ourselves. So go to christianquestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. So you have each of these steps printed out in front of you so that you can practice them, make sure you're on the right page with God's word and his attitude of proper um, productive hatred. Okay, good. CQ Rewind, the full edition, is a free service at christianquestions.com or through your Christian Questions app. Give it a try if you don't have it already. So the first step toward productive hatred, Jonathan, is acknowledge what you were and the enormous difference between it and what we are called to and we where we came from. To build that thought, we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So what the apostle is writing, he's saying, look, this is what you once were. You used to walk in the futility of your own mind. You had become callous because of the hardness of your heart. And that's what feeds the wrong kind of hatred. He's saying, if you've come to Christ, you're something different. Your, 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 your whole being is driven by something bigger, something more powerful, something strong, something admirable. You need to remember, acknowledge what you were. Acknowledge the enormous difference between what you were called to and where you came from. We so, are all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So look in the mirror with honesty and humility. Help us, and that helps us to find Jesus every day. Now, uh, let, let's go back to Ladanian Tomlinson, okay, again, because remember, here's a man who had every reason to have that resentment building up in his heart and in his mind because of the fact that he came from a slave family. His name wasn't even his own name. And now he meets with a descendant of the slave owner. And they're standing on the property that his great-great-great-grandfather tilled the soil of. Let's listen to his further reaction here. This is, this is, this is so inspiring. Once we got to talking and, and Chris said to me, I want to apologize to you for what my family did to, to your family, even though he had nothing to do with it. He couldn't have changed what happened, you know, but just the fact that he said, I want to make this better and I want, I want to talk about this. That's what kind of drew me into Chris and made me, you know, open my arms with love for him made me open my arms with love for him. Why? Because he simply acknowledged that what happened way back when was, was horrible. And, you know, I love Mr. Tomlinson's attitude, Ladanian's attitude here, where he says, the man couldn't fix it. He couldn't change what happened. 
but he just simply acknowledged it and that was enough for me. What a powerful antidote for hatred Mr. Ladanian Tomlinson gives us. He had every right to have that resentment just eating him up, but he chose to live above and beyond it in a very special way. Jonathan, I, I, that is just so incredibly inspiring. Just it incredible. Is. What humility he shows us there. So our first step toward productive hatred was to acknowledge what we were. Our second step toward productive hatred is to abandon what we were. Don't merely push it out of the way. Desert it intentionally. Ephesians 4, 20-22. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in the reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Lay aside the old self. Now, that's not just sort of pushing it, just, just nudging it out of the way just so you can get by. Laying it aside. Put it away. It no longer belongs to, have, uh, belongs to your life in a relevant manner. You have to go beyond it. Our hatred, our proper hatred, depends on our putting aside our old self. And Jonathan, that's hard to do. We can do it through intentional prayer, through thinking and action, intentional thinking, intentional action. These are powerful steps, but it has to be on purpose. We cannot expect to learn how to hate properly by just sitting back and saying, oh, God will teach me. No, 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 no. You have to unlearn. You have to undo. You have to, you have to change what drives you so you can get to what you should be driven by. Um, let's go to the to the to the next step of protect produ- uh, <laughs> productive hatred. Uh, the third step is to appreciate the power of your new, sp- new spiritual life. So first we acknowledge what we were, then we abandoned what we were, and now we appreciate the power of our new spiritual life. Know where it's from, what it is meant to accomplish, and how it's meant to work. Back to Ephesians chapter four, this time verses twenty three and twenty four. And then you'll be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Okay, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed. It's different. It's changed. It's transformed. That's what this is talking about. True spiritual uh, appreciation of true spirituality brings true knowledge and direction. Appreciate the power of the new spiritual life. Jonathan, if we claim to be Christians, then we had better start acting like it in our emotions. We had better stop justifying emotion for righteousness. God doesn't buy that, nor should we. That's not what Jesus did, nor should it be what we do. Okay, final scripture on, on, this, on this particular point. We're looking to appreciate the power of your new spiritual life. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Again, this is God's perspective on appropriate hatred. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? See, God's hatred is of evil. His hatred is of evil, not of people. 
We have to understand that, and we have to learn to emulate that. Jesus hated evil. Jesus turned the tables over of the money changers because they were evil. Jesus, in Matthew 23, told off the scribes and the Pharisees because of the things that they were doing, the leadership that was bringing the people astray. And he was honest with them, and he was straightforward. He didn't hate them. He hated what they were doing. What's our handling hatred lesson for uh, this segment? Well, Rick, destructive hatred will cower when it is faced with spiritual integrity and determination. All right. We can put destructive hatred on notice in our lives if we deal with it from the standpoint of spiritual integrity and spiritual determination. So finally, Jonathan, some really practical, encouraging, and good news. So let's run with it. Is there a way to be rid of destructive hatred for good? What do I have to do to put an end to it? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. So how do we put an end to destructive hatred for good? Unless we fully crystallized our character into the likeness of Jesus, we will always be subject to the insidious tentacles of destructive hatred in our lives. Remember that destructive hatred is natural as it is based squarely upon our emotions and our emotions are at work all the time. So we, by definition, have to always be aware and be willing to fight it. And Jonathan, it's of all the things to fight in your life, yourself is the hardest one. You're right. Okay, as a matter of fact, next week's program is how do we defeat our worst enemy, me. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to expand on that in a big way next week. But there's a great quote here uh, from Booker T. Washington. I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Okay, so what a great quote. Nobody, he's saying, nobody is going to make me hate him. I will hate what he does. If it is unrighteous and it is wrong, but the man I will love. And that's the godly way to approach things. Trish, you have a, uh, an, another quick comment? Yes. Go ahead. This is just really quick. I, um, we had uh, Glory Beth call us from the Philippines. Oh, okay. And I just wanted to give you her scripture. It's from uh, Romans twelve nine. Let us have no imitation Christian love. Let us have a genuine break with evil and a real devotion to good. Let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers. Okay, thank you for that. And thank you, Glory Beth, for uh, calling that scripture in. We'd love to hear from you folks. Keep the comments coming. Uh, Again, the the Christian Questions chat board is at christianquestions.com. On the website, click Listen Live, and you can just join right in with the chat. So, Jonathan... We've looked at three steps toward productive hatred. Acknowledge what you were, abandon what you were, and appreciate the power of your new spiritual life. Now let's go back to one last time, born to hate Jews, uh, the gentleman, the Muslim gentleman who is now beginning to understand that things are not the way he thought they were 
What does he do with that information? Let's listen. And that's when everything changed. Everything. What I saw with my own eyes was even more challenging than what Dershowitz had written. Instead of apartheid, I saw Muslims, Christians and Jews coexisting. Instead of hate, I saw acceptance and even compassion. I saw a raucous, modern, liberal democracy, full of flaws, certainly, but fundamentally decent. I saw a country that wanted nothing more than to live in peace with its neighbors. I saw my hatred melting before my eyes. I knew right then what I had to do. Too many people on this planet are consumed with the same hatred that consumed me. They have been taught to despise the Jewish state. Many Muslims by their religion, many others by their college professors or student groups. So here is my challenge to anyone who feels this way. Do what I did. Seek out the truth for yourself. If the truth could change me, it can change anyone. I'm Kasim Hafiz for Prager University. What a great testimony to managing an awful hatred to an end that is completely reversed, completely positive. He put it in perspective. He allowed truth to show him the way. He allowed truth to show him the humanness in those that he once hated. And that brings us to our fourth step. Go ahead, Jonathan, a comment? Well, Rick, I was thinking of a great contrast um, between uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. How about Hurricane Harvey in Houston, Texas? You know, that, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, especially at this point, because what you see now, I, this, this hurricane, and, and, and it still continues to rain, and rain, and rain, and rain, and the flooding is unbelievable. But what you see, Jonathan, there is you see people driving hundreds of miles, bringing their boat, so they can go down the streets of Houston or whatever other city and find people who are stranded and rescue them. Now, those people, when they go to rescue other people and they go out of their way, they're not asking them, so what is your uh, political uh, affiliation? They're saying... <laughs> You're, you're a human being. I'm a human being. You're in trouble. Take my hand. Let me help you. There is no room for hatred there. Now, why? Because it's human catastrophe. It's human tragedy. And I think the lesson of Charlottesville versus Hurricane Harvey is that in Charlottesville, it's all ideological. It's all, I stand for this. You stand for that. I therefore hate you and I want to hurt you. Hurricane Harvey is, you're a human, I'm a human, you're in trouble, let me help you. We get off on the wrong kind of hatred when we lose our humanity, as it was meant to be. I think those two experiences are dramatic in their contrast. And the fact that we have this incredible outpouring of love and compassion and helping from one person to another is proof that we're better than this other garbage that we allow ourselves to get steeped in and, and to justify and to stand with our chest all bloated out saying, yeah, I'm right. No, no, you're wrong. You're just emotional. Don't go down that road. Our fourth step toward productive hatred, thanks for bringing that up, that powerful, powerful lesson, is to apply. Apply Jesus' character and example in your everyday. And that's really how, how that's happening in, in this particular circumstance with that hurricane. This means being aware of his character and example every day. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 4, now verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
we have to maintain the closeness of our connections to be able to rise above that awful kind of destructive hatred. How do we keep our emotions in check and stay focused on, a, on productive hatred? Listen to Jesus. That's what you do. Listen to Jesus. Imitate Jesus. He did not get violent. He became disruptive. There is an enormous difference. He didn't go hurt anybody. His intention wasn't to hurt anybody. It was to stop the evil and to help those who were being cheated. Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 43 to 46. Listen to Jesus. And it, this, this verse 43, Jonathan, is interesting. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, look, in the Old Testament law, it said, you shall love your neighbor. It did not say, you shall hate your enemy. No, it didn't. It didn't say, that can't be found in the law. They added that and justified the emotion. That's what we do, folks. That's what we do. That's what creates destructive hatred. Jesus said, you've heard it said that. But here's what I say to you. Now let's read verses 44 to 46. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? You know, Jonathan, it's an interesting, interesting point. When we were doing some preparation for the program, this, this particular podcast uh, earlier um, this past week, uh, I was sitting with Trish and, you know, she was looking up uh, different things on, on the internet in terms of hatred and so forth. And there were some, some, some people who claimed to be Christians that were saying, well, no, you know, it's appropriate to hate those sinners. It's appropriate. You, you should. And, and you read this scripture and you say, and you call yourself a Christian with that kind of doctrine, with that kind of teaching? Jesus says, and I don't know how else you can interpret this, love your enemies, bless those who curse, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who, dis- who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So you can be faithful, so you can be a true disciple of me. That is taking hatred and running it through the car wash. You run it through the car wash and you wash the emotion out and what comes out the other end is simply hating that which is wrong, but loving, loving, loving the people. That's the way we are supposed to hate. And Jonathan, there is no excuse for us to go beyond that. No, no excuse. Hate must not emanate from us because God does not emanate hate. He cares. He cares for everyone. And on the heels of this, I think it's only appropriate to go back to the Ladanian Tomlinson story one more time because here's a man. And, and you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about his story is he didn't have to tell that story. He didn't. But he chose the biggest stage that he could be on. He's going into the Football Hall of Fame. And he's standing there in that, in that gold jacket in, with all of these people and all of these cameras. And that's where he tells the story. Why? Because he is attacking the hatred that's driven by emotion. 
saying there is another way. And he's doing it in such a loving, humble way. He's saying, let me just tell you my story. So let, let's just get a very, very quick conclusion of the Ladanian Tomlinson story. For just those simple words of, you know, I'm sorry, but I want to tell this story because it's important for America to understand that all of our stories are very similar. And if we, we understand that, we can truly change the way some of us feel about one another. He, doesn't, he realizes he can't change the world. But he says, you know what? We can truly change the way some of us feel about one another. And just like the story of the, the Muslim individual who started out with a lifelong brainwashed thought of hating anyone who is a Jew, no matter what, if they are Jewish, you hate them. You want them dead. That's what he had thought. He was able to grow through that, realize that that was not based on fact, but in fact was based on fantasy and fiction, and, and it was based on hatred that was not legitimate in any way, shape, or form. And he had the courage to change. Ladanian Tomlinson, his name was not even his own family name. It was given to him by the people who owned his great-great-great-great-grandfather. He didn't hate that. He grew to love his name. And he executed change in that family tree, Jonathan, probably for generations to come in terms of, sure. of those, those, those two sides being able to actually get together and communicate. So we've gone through four steps toward productive hatred. Acknowledge what you were. Abandon what you were. Appreciate the power of your new spiritual life. And the fourth step was to apply Jesus' character and example in your everyday. So what is the fifth step? Acquiesce to a spiritual balanced approach to life, Rick. All right. Anger and hatred happen and can be good as long as they are merely tools of righteousness, not tools of your emotion, not tools that you can hurt somebody with. Anger and hatred can be good as long as they are just tools of righteousness. That's what they're supposed to be. And you know, Jonathan, one of the classic things, I used to be a, a woodworker, and one of the classic things about woodworking was you use the right tool for the right job. You never try to use the wrong plane in the wrong situation because it's not going to work right. Hatred is a tool of righteousness that can actually help to elevate a circumstance, not destroy it, as long as we are doing it without that emotion and with appropriateness. So let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 again. Let's finish up with verse uh, 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. There you have it. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the emotion get the best of you. Be Jesus-like in your responses. We're going to finish up. Uh, we've got two more scriptures, Jonathan. This next scripture is interesting because it talks about hating. It talks about, and it's in Revelation. It talks about, you know, being hateful towards something very, very specific. Revelation 2.6. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Okay, let's figure out. Who were the Nicolaitans, and what was it that was hated? Were the Nicolaitans themselves hated? 
or were the deeds of the Nicolaitans hated? First of all, let's find out who they were. Let's go to a commentary from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. The Nicolaitans were a loose sect which sheltered themselves under the name of Christianity. They held hateful doctrines, and they were guilty of hateful deeds, hateful to Christ and to all true Christians. And it is mentioned to the praise of the church of Ephesus that they had a just zeal and abhorrence of those wicked doctrines and practices. An indifference of spirit between truth and error, good and evil, may be called charity and meekness, but it is not pleasing to Christ. So this group was a group that took true Christianity and utterly, completely corrupted what it stood for and made it just a simple uh, uh, cloak for doing whatever it is they wanted to do. And they did it in the name of Christ. And, and look, we can see that through a lot of history, Jonathan. We can see we can. how the name of Christ was used to, to, uh, to, to, to o- overtake nations. The name of Christ was used to, to torture people. The name of Christ was used to, to make money. All of those things are not part of the name of Christ. No. And what Jesus is saying in Revelation is, hate those deeds. And he's very specific. He doesn't say hate the people. Hate the deeds. Hate the deeds. Hate the deeds. And act in a righteous, just manner as a result. Love the sinner, hate the sin. That's the lesson that we've been learning here. And this can be so easy to confuse. So one last scripture, Jonathan. We're almost out of time. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves humanity. You know, we keep bringing that out again and again. God's love for humanity is big and it's powerful and it's strong and it's righteous. Let us cling to that standard for our hatefulness when it has to be applied. Handling hatred lesson, last, last one, Jonathan. Well, Rick, God's hatred is for a purpose, that of identifying wrong and darkness so that right and light will one day be fully, unequivocally embraced. For our hatred to be productive, it must have the same motivation. We have to be motivated the way God is motivated to do the right thing in the right way. Do it in the footsteps of Jesus. Hatred is appropriate, but only productive hatred, and that is not a common thing. So if you think you've got it, think again, because most likely you're on an emotional track, not a productive track. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But until then, hatred needs to be carefully, carefully applied with compassion and grace to be productive. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download our app. Talk to you next week.